Hey, welcome to the One Life Podcast. This is episode one, which is pretty exciting. Uh, it's the first time we're kind of giving this a real shot. We did a practice few episodes. Uh, you can see like episode 0.001 and through 0.003, which is pretty awesome. Uh, but my name is Sarah Inman. I'm the communications director here for One Life Network. And we're going to just kind of sit around. We're going to talk about maybe some things from our messages from the previous week. Um, and also just kind of some things about what it's like to live this one and only life that we have. So to my right, I have our lead pastor, Brett Nicholson. And uh, Brett will basically kind of be leading a lot of the conversation and asking some questions and being able to share some things, um, just some more thoughts. Because we you know a lot of times he has a lot more that he wants to be able to share, um, but doesn't always have the time to get to it. So we take some of the opportunities to learn some more from him um, throughout the weeks as we hear uh, some of the things that God has, has put on his heart. And then to my left, I have one of our campus pastors from One Life West, Matt Breivogel. And uh, Matt's going to be here hanging out talking about some of his thoughts as that as well and then um, on the end over here we have Ryan Nunn campus pastor from One Life Henderson so um, just an opportunity for us to sit around and chat and hang out and talk about some cool things let's do it yeah all right so good setup yeah thanks I really practiced it I don't know you can tell that that's right (laughs) I didn't telephone yeah (laughs) so Brett Yes. Can you kind of give us just a little rundown, a little feedback, or not feedback, give us kind of like an overview a little bit about what you talked about on Sunday, um, kind of kick off the conversation from there. Okay. Well, uh, and it was from the story of Mephibosheth, which, you know, half the study time was figuring out how to pronounce that name. <laughs> and uh, uh, and the idea was kind of going, kind of reversing back. It was, uh, I wanted to do something about the local church. I wanted to do something about the family of God. And I went to the team and I gave kind of proposed titles and ideas to how to do that. And I, I was kind of leaning towards welcome home, something kind of cheesy like that. And I, I think I wrote the table on the, on the, on the board and everybody went with the table. So I did a search for how many times in all the different places where the table is used in the Bible. And uh, that was one of the stories that kind of surfaced. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's used a lot during that story. And so, uh, and I was reminded, I think I heard a sermon on it like back in college and started there. And uh, so the story itself is uh, there's, there's a son who was uh, uh, the best friend of David. Uh, his, and he's looking for somebody to be kind to, and he finds him, he is crippled in his feet and he finds him and he kind of restores him. He gives him this lottery winning moment sort of thing where he he, he not only says I'm not going to kill you but I'm going to give you everything you've ever needed I'm gonna and I'm gonna welcome you at my table and most people and including myself believe it's a portrait of Christ and what he's done for us in the church so uh, that wasn't a very good explanation of it but I thought if, it was great. you should oh well I appreciate that yeah, but yeah. you should listen to the actual message because I explain it just a little bit better I think the real question yeah. is how often do you have to use yeah. Google for your sermons you know? well that, that wasn't from Google I, I will have to say that I, I do. I, I like to do word searches, and uh, no, I didn't. Uh, it was it was like a Bible dot com or some such thing, and just find all the table references. I so, honestly, I've never heard a sermon on Mephibosheth in my yeah. whole life, so I'm proud that we have one. And so you got nothing to compare it to. So it may have just been like <laughs> the most amazing sermon in the history of Mephibosheth sermons in your life. So yes. please don't listen Hands to down. another one. You know, so how many more could there be out there, though? I, mean, I don't need to hear any more. This is so good. good. That's You're right. right. That's right. That's right. So Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth. I just wanted yes, to say it. It's one of those words. You know, there's certain words it out is. there that someone says and that's you have to repeat it. That's one of those. Exactly. And that's why I said during the message that we ought to have a t-shirt that says, I am Mephibosheth. Because 
first of all, no one would know what it means, but second of all, I think it would attract attention and would communicate tons. I really so. feel like I heard it West on Sunday where like you said it and then I heard someone behind me go, Mephibosheth. Like they said it out loud. <laughs> like they had to say it too. It was like, you can't right. not say and then it. then you try to spell it. And, yeah. and I couldn't spell it. I've seen it a thousand times now and I still couldn't spell yeah. it. Uh, That's fun. Know, so let's hopefully I pronounce it right. Well, okay. So talking about the table series, talking about, um, obviously, uh, for me, what I thought was just amazing was thinking of this idea that there was no reason for this man to be at David's table, and yet David made a spot for him. Um, like, that's amazing. Like, it's a beautiful story. I told Matt after the message, I was like, this sounds weird. I was like, I want to turn that into like a Broadway musical. Like, there's this beautiful story of like this where <laughs> you start, right? It seems like an idea uh, that could turn into something. something there. Because there's... it starts out with like, you know, this broken like relationship and ends in this beautiful ending and story. And obviously, you know, you can share the gospel through that. That's um, true. Please no one steal that idea. I think I, I copyrighted think that ought it to yesterday yeah, before yeah, we started this absolutely. podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's even good for a name and on a yeah. On a, uh, you know, billboard or whatever, and it, it's a great title for something. Yeah, and it's it a great work. name to sing. Ooh, you could build in all kinds of drama and story. Is just yeah, it's all there. I can see. Yeah, it. I I also have to say this too. My dad passed away recently, and I, I think I said in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, right after it happened, that he used to get on me a lot about you need to do the stories, right? You need to do the stories in the Bible, and he said that through my whole life, like these stories back here, and that that was kind of what surfaced for me as well, is like, but because it really is, it mm -hmm. would make a great Broadway musical, and it's one chapter. It's got a little bit of backstory, but it's basically one chapter that is just layers and layers and layers of richness. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I would like to ask you guys is as you heard it as you thought about it uh what were some of the, the the ideas that kind of sprung to your mind or what struck you the most or what inspired you the most just listening to that story the picture it created you know i always think about when i think about david always as cliche as it may or may not sound you, you can't help but think about all the things that he just screwed up like he, it's royally right and so so I really, but I love the way that he, no matter what, like he, he still reaches for this way, this ability to, to show kindness is what the scripture says, I guess, to somebody in Saul's family, 15 years down the road. Um, and then I, I don't know. I think that that was one thing that really inspired me, um, more than anything, because that, that's a, that's a, that's a foreign concept for the most part, you know, in culture at large is, is this right. idea of really that kind of forgiveness and making something like that right would just be seemingly utter nonsense you know right. today in modern culture um and so i don't know it, it was probably nonsense back then as well but it, it just seemed pretty like a really really powerful impactful yeah. thing that he would honor that well speaking of, one of those things that i didn't get to you know as i was kind of i was trying to paint a thumbnail ske sketch of david and jonathan had a covenant that he was honoring but they did that between friends back then they would and, and families and i wanted to delve into that more because they based love and expressions of kindness based on promise and commitment rather than just, you know, kind of fleeting moment, fleeting moment feelings and things like that. It always kind of struck me. So 15 years later, after someone dies, you can honor your word. Hey, I said I would do this and I've, I've got to get out there and do it. And I, that, that was very impressive. Good I'd point. I never heard that, that the covenant thing. I, yeah. I didn't know that was a thing in ancient world until yeah. Sunday. So. Oh, really? Well, yeah. See, that's right. You're there, Had man. you had a, heard a sermon on Mephibosheth? No, I read the story a couple the, times. Once again, I, the greatest Mephibosheth <laughs> sermon. <laughs> in Ryan's life. That's one of them. Wow. Uh, 
Oh, no, no. No, I was, I was just going to highlight the, I feel like a lot of times you hear the word covenant a lot. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if people understand like always what that means, but I mean, and I could be completely wrong, but I will be wrong on this podcast a lot. So the covenant, I mean, it's another word for promise and testament. Am I correct in this, Brett? Say that one more time. Covenant, so like covenant, it's another yeah. word for testament, like New Testament, Old Testament, and also yes. just promise yeah. in general. So kind of it's, giving people some... I don't know, just giving another um, viewpoint of what that word yeah, it's means. It's formalized promise is probably the one way to say it. I mean, we have the, it's it's not, it's a contract plus deeper relationship. It's uh, marriage is the closest thing we have. You know, the, that is considered a covenant. It's the same basic idea. Mm-hmm. It's legal, but it's also relational in a lot of deeper ways. So. so would there have been ramifications of, like what would breaking that covenant look like in that culture, do you know? Anybody know? I know that they would they would say there's this line they use all the time in the Old Testament, especially they say, "May God deal with me, be it ever so severely, that mm-hmm. if I break this, you know." And I don't okay, know what yeah. that if they're if God does honor that, like if I broke the covenant, okay, I'm going to deal with you ever so severely. Yeah. I, I don't know if there's any actual mm-hmm. accounts of God saying, "Hey, you told me to deal with you severely, so here it goes, mm-hmm. you broke the covenant." But they would they would kind of, and I think they did some things where they would maybe put those conditions on it. If I break this something would happen to me or I would do that against myself or something like that. So Sorry, you choose Matt. your friends wisely. Yeah, That's exactly. Right. Well, I mean, I love the, the cultural context you gave, um, how, you know, it had been commonplace for, you know, someone who became King. Um, if he wasn't in the line of the previous King that they would decimate anyone in that previous King's lineage to secure their children's lineage who would then yep. be King following them. And so for him to welcome uh, Mephibosheth uh, to his table meant so much um, culturally. And then you you really played up that when David told Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. And that stood out to me like crazy on Sunday. And there's a reason Mephibosheth should be afraid. But what he didn't know was what he was going there for. And so there's... I, this phrase came in my head, the character of the king, the character of the king. And if he would have known that, what he was going there for, he wouldn't have been scared. And so we know this now. So I'm thinking, how do I translate that into my life? And so when I think of telling people about Jesus or living out my faith, it's like God has this bad rep in our culture because people think of his character as evil or nasty or judgmental. And it's like maybe I'm doing a bad job of showing people the character of the king so they can approach him without being fear or without any hesitation or without these barriers that are put in place from their presuppositions of what he might want from them. And so I was just trying to play that out because, you know, this is a beautiful picture of the character of Jesus and how he welcomes people to his table. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's our job as the church to help show people that how to welcome them into the table, show what the character of Jesus truly looks like. Yeah, I, I love I love putting myself in the and, and maybe this it's subjective. So I always be very careful with this. But in Bible stories, I love to put myself in the place of the characters, especially someone like that, because you can feel their emotions. And I think you can do it accurately to a point because there is a universal quality to human experience. I mean, if if you knew there's the threat of you possibly being killed at any given day, every time you sat in your car, it might blow up or whatever else. I mean, you, you would have a certain personality thing. You would, you would be, uh, you would be fearful and you would be anxiety ridden. You'd be uh, wound up really, really, really tight. And then if you were finally called before that person, it would be horrifying. It would be, uh, you know, a horrible thing. So that's one of the things I love about the stories is that there is a true human quality to it on that score like i'm going ahead and taking for granted maybe we can debate whether or not you can take that picture and 
and apply it to our relationship with Christ. I go ahead and just kind of say it because they've done it throughout church history. Mm-hmm. But uh, was there something that helped you that as you saw that picture personally, now you're a little bit, you, you viewed God, maybe not differently, but you view your walk with the Lord a little bit differently. Just uh, something that helped you in that or you know, kind of woke up something in you or renewed something in you. I'm a visual person in general, so I always see pictures when I'm hearing stories. And the idea that at multiple times it says that he was lame in both feet, like it made me visualize someone having to carry him. Um, And it just like... I just started thinking about that personally, like how many times in my life that I always try to think that, well, I can get to the table myself, you know, like this metaphorical table, but literally being to the point where someone has to carry me there. Like just that visualization of seeing that made me think of like, I like Jesus carries me to the table himself. Like, I mean, it's just because I can't, I can't get there. And so it really, I don't know, it made me think of it in this beautiful picture, like not just something that I say, but like something that I can see. And it, as it brings that out, though, I kept thinking about that. I keep thinking, like, because you really have to stress, if this is a portrait of grace, which I believe it is, it's really communicating you don't have anything to commend yourself before God, which is supposed to be good news, but it, can be, <laughs> I mean, it, it, does, it sounds like bad news. Why do people take it as bad news? Why would you think people might, you think there were people there on Sunday that, that kind of reacted negatively against it, like what was said? I don't really, I don't know. I think what the message did for me uh, is I think it's always good to do is to be reminded of my dependency, right? So it's kind of like the the gospel or the good news of Jesus. It kind of, it just reminded me a Sunday morning, okay, right, you know, like you've really done nothing. You have nothing. And so I wasn't necessarily offended. I can't imagine being offended because it really pointed me towards God's goodness. Right. So kind of his character and who he is and the fact that absolutely that there's not a thing that I did. Right. Um, but yet I can walk in hope and I can walk in an absence of fear, as you were talking about a minute ago, right. uh, regardless of what I do or don't deserve. Um, so, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if people are feel, but that really, that big idea of me being reminded of my dependency on, on our Creator God. But it lays it on pretty thick that you have no goodness Absolutely. of your own. I mean, and, yeah. and, and then you have that mm-hmm. offensive line where Mephibosheth says, what is your servant that you should show regard to a dead a dead dog such as I? Oh, yeah. Right. That's how he thinks of himself, right. you know, and it's almost like you have to lower yourself to such a degree in, in a very helpful time um, in my life understanding this is better understanding the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector right. where you know you have the Pharisee who's you know praying to God about you know following the law so well and the tax collectors over off the side crying out to God and beating his breast like God have mercy on me a sinner he's just at this low humble state he just sees his wretchedness to his core and I'm like that's me that has to be me because that's the guy who was justified at the end of this story and how do I get there? How do I, you know, see myself there? And that's not always an easy thing to do. I don't see myself right. as that every day. That's for sure. Right. But, but correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, especially nowadays, maybe, maybe uh, uh, many years ago, it was easier to think that way about mm-hmm. yourself than it is now. Like, uh, I'm a dead dog. Well, I mean, that doesn't sound like the kind of thing you would say to your kid. You know, you are. Sure. If you say that, you know, I agree. You know, yeah. it's not, you're not supposed to do that. But at the same time, it kind of, and as I was kind of trying to press that home, I felt a little funny. It, it sometimes, yeah. like, like people would go, so I, I don't well, know I if feel that's like there's, this, there's this cultural kind of faux pas, if you will, for saying that you're, like, 
you're not a good person. Like so, there's this thing, well, you know, I, for whatever reason, you know, I don't know, we were just wrapped up in kind of this idea of good deeds. And so I think you, you dealt with it directly very well in the sense that you were just like, okay, I'll, I mean, I think in, in Henderson anyway, you talked about how um, it's just about your good deeds. You got really, really passionate about that. They're, they're useless. So you can be a good person. You gave, you said the example, about you could have given 20 shirts off your back or whatever it was, because I feel like we, we live in a culture to where we want to be good so bad. And then when you read and you hear a message, you know, the gospel that says, no matter how bad you want to be good or no matter how many good things you do, you're just not apart from, apart from Jesus. I, you know, I, yeah, I think it's very offensive in a sense. Yeah, I can see why it is. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I'm not, yeah. There are no illusions. I, I think people, I, I'm, I'm just reading the data and throwing it out there thinking, I'm, I think I'm accurately communicating what this really is saying. All <laughs> yeah. your righteousness is filthy rags and all that. But at the same time, I get why somebody would go, no, wait a minute, all my righteousness? I'm, right. I'm, I've done some pretty neat stuff in my life, that kind of thing. So, uh, well, and, and the whole thrust of the idea, I kind of want to shift gears a little bit, that the, the idea of the table, that's the metaphor for the church that we're using. We're using metaphor. That's pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a table where all of us are Mephibosheths. And, and then think about what it would have been like for the people, for him. And then how do you, first, how do you think his David's sons reacted, or for real? How do you picture them uh, responding to, okay, I've brought this guy in. And I said, I think I said the message, that when he first came in, he couldn't look very royal. I mean, he probably looked pretty rough. And so when they come... How do you think they reacted, or would you think they were all just cool and chill with it, and everything was great, and, and they welcomed him? And well, yeah. I always I always go to these stories because uh, I can kind of relate. Because my my parents, though we're not royalty royalty by any means, but you know my my parents were very very um, kind people, and they would bring in like I come home late at night in high school and there'd just be kind of random strangers in our house um, that they oh, were that right? allowing. Oh, people that like, like, didn't stand on street corners and things? Yeah, like, and, and they, they didn't were have anywhere to stay, so they'd bring them really? home. Wow. And so literally, I'd have like two doors down for me, some <laughs> person, I don't know who they are, sleeping there, and I'm like 19, so I'm like, I don't, I don't wow, know okay. really what to do about this. Um, you know, at the time, I was just like, are you kidding me? Like right now, like really? Like, you know, I don't know who they are. I don't know if, if they're going to knife me in the middle of the night. Or I, I don't know what's about to happen. Um, you know, I think reflecting on it, reflecting on it, it was a great thing. But in the moment, identifying with David's sons, I was really just like, what Like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? What's going on? We got, we could all be asleep and taking our time. How are you out finding people that are homeless or have nowhere to stay and right. bringing them into our home? Like, it's just a weird thing. Right. Okay. So, yeah. I, but I, he took it a step farther and said, you're going to eat at my table, right? So yeah, I mean, this like person, one of my sons. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of my sons. Yeah. Sit right there in the middle of them. Get the same portions. Right. Everything in those yeah. portions. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, they could be super worried. Like, okay, well, what if this guy, you know, he, he feels all high and mighty now. He's one of us. Well, what if one of his sons tries to take out one of my sons and, and, and get in line for the throne or something like that? You know, I wonder if they would feel like super skeptical of this guy. They don't know his character. They're, oh, that's true. You know, Which you can good. run into people that, that you might, uh, as you're trying to uh, give care to or something like that, there, there can be, you know, I'm, I'm suspecting your motives. or sure. I hadn't thought of that angle before, that those yeah. guys would have been thinking, well, how do we know he's not going to knife us in our sleep or, or whatever else? And uh, it's interesting. Whether we're right or wrong, we... Sure, you go through that kind of yeah. stuff. So, and, and the idea is pretty much to portray the church. And so 
we are Mephibosheths. We finally realize that is us in the in the story. Uh, but the local church theoretically is supposed to be filled with people who have recognized that about themselves. Uh, why do you th do you think that happens, or or do you think we struggle with it? Do you, uh, it seems like the church does not have that reputation of people walking around all humble about their good needs. I mean, growing up in the church, there was definitely an era of better than culture mentality. Like we don't do these things, which people did. People just hid the wrong things. They <laughs> we're, did, we're right? Better, like we're hiding those things. We're better at acting like we're we're acting like we don't do these things. Okay. Acting like our lives are perfect or <laughs> right, something like right. that. And you know, my family is just as guilty as anyone else. And so was I for a long time and still am sorry to a degree, I'm sure, you know, but you know, you put your life and, and you do the compare game. You know, here's I'm better than this person because I was that what causes that? Yeah. I mean, it's like we all know our gateway in everybody when they first come to Christ knows the score. We're like, okay, I please have mercy on me, please. Yeah. And it's easy to get, but after you're in the game for several years, all of a sudden you're you're walking around feeling pretty good about yourself. Mm -hmm. And is it why do we why do we lose that? Why why does that happen? You think? Uh, I, at some point, some way, it shifts. From my experience, I know I was raised in church as well. So it's like at some point it shifts from this idea of, oh my gosh, thank you so much for your forgiveness, Lord. You know, I need your forgiveness to, okay, in order for me to maintain this forgiveness, I've got I've got to do certain things. Like, you know, I can't, you know, cuss, smoke, drink, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I can't do these certain things um, because in order to be a good Christian, I have to do these certain things. So I think over the years, the church, very unintentionally, I feel like, you know, some of it was done with good intentions, but it was like this whole put your best foot forward and then pretend your back foot's kind of not there. You know what I mean? Kind of pretend your, your worst foot's not there. And so then, I, I don't know, I feel like over time we started to respect and, and really um, appreciate all these good, righteous things that we do to a place to where that that's what we chased as opposed to a relationship with the Lord. And, um, and then Henderson specifically, and I'm sure Evansville as well, you know, I think that the whole idea of, of church kind of being fake, and, and that's where that comes from in my mind, is that we lose sight of, like I guess Keller says, um, that we've forgotten what it's like to to um, not be saved. We've forgotten what mm -hmm. it's like to be lost or not know Christ. Um, and so, I don't know, I feel like some of that stemmed from just Christianity became behavior modification. Well, it becomes kind of a classic question, though. So is the, which is the solution to that? How do you avoid that? Do you just go ahead and say, okay, I'm going to smoke and drink, and I'm going to cuss, and be, and just throw it under <laughs> grace and all that? I mean, I've seen people do that. I'm like, okay, it should be fine. And those are the, the, the cheap examples, obviously. Right. Is yeah. it that, or, or what is the solution? How do you keep that grace-filled humility happening, uh, but at the same time living some kind of sanctified life i mean uh, of course they've been asking that for two thousand years and i'm pretty sure that sarah has the answer to it i, 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 I'm already you know, yes, I, was, I, was I think that's the next book title it's coming uh, sarah emman writes about this i should write a book you should oh, yeah, absolutely should. um <laughs> no I, I i'm actually still kind of on one of your questions from uh, a couple questions ago, oh. I think might get to. <laughs> okay, sorry. Well, by all means, we'll probably no, I'm still processing. No, you were asking right. about, you know, what do you think David's uh, sons felt like, and, and then I think it rolled into your next question of like, do you think the church always acts that way? And I started thinking that 
honestly, if I were one of David's sons, I'd be like, what's this guy doing at my table? Like, he doesn't belong here. Like, and I think a lot of times in churches, I've seen this over the years, um, and probably even, no, not probably, I know I've been this person where you almost like, you don't want to bring someone else new in because you feel like you've got it set. This is the way you want it to be. And if you bring someone else in, it's going to change it. Hmm. It's going to make it, you know, not the way you want it. And so, um, I've had that issue, not issue, but kind of that thought in groups before where it's like someone new comes in, you're sitting there and you're like, Oh, okay. The whole dynamic's about to change. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, uh, but it has to, right. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it has to, and, yeah. and that's the way if, if we're saying that our goal, um, you know, one thing I was going to add, Ryan's mentioned a couple of times that he, uh, in Henderson, uh, one life church, if you're listening, you don't know who one life church is. We are one church in multiple locations. We have three campuses. Um, and so, um, you are hearing different perspectives of different, um, communities, which is really cool but I don't know so the answer what was the question that you guys thought I had the answer to well but that that's the thing I wanted to point out that you artfully answered a different question that brought <laughs> yeah. up an even better thing so I don't okay. even care about that original question it was <laughs> something about smoking and drinking and cussing and all that sort of stuff yeah, yeah but, but, because I'd like to really chase after that because the ideal because the way the message closed out and what has really struck me and I've seen this because I love studying early church history is that they were known to be revolutionary they were known to have at the table if you were a slave, if you're an aristocrat, if you were, no matter what class of society you were in, you sat at that table and you were all brothers and sisters and they called each other and they were considered complete weirdos mm-hmm. and, and revolutionaries to the Roman and uh, to the Roman society. Now that's considered like, we all love that idea. It was the ultimate, one historian said that Christianity was the greatest egalitarian movement ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only true one, uh, really, where everybody was equal, everybody was kind of, now, but the problem is, and that's what uh, Sarah you brought up, is when we actually experience that kind of thing, a lot of times secretly we don't even like it that much. I handle that because, yeah, I've been in groups where, man, the chemistry was exactly right and all this, and then someone comes in and the dynamics throw off. So how do you balance that longing to, to have that equal thing where all Mephibosheth but the, the, I don't know, the realities of social uh, interactions? Yeah. Is that, how do you handle that? Matt, you got that solved? Uh, you can no, I don't. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's an ongoing struggle just personally. But you know when it's happening right, you feel it. Um, but I grew up in a Baptist church where everybody called each other brother. Right. Brother Mike was my dad, right. you know. Um, yeah. And I think the ethic that Paul creates for the church that we are each other's brothers and sisters, it has to have that level because, you know, when you have a family, there are members of your family who will do dumb things, will annoy you. Um, and you treat them though with a greater level of patience. You make more sacrifices for them because they're family. And Paul's trying to say like these people who are followers of Jesus along with you, that's the same level that, this is now become for you. And Jesus even did that with his disciples. Like this is, they're my brother and my sister, my mother, my father. Like right. there was this higher level of love that, and it's not saying it's easy to do, but that's the ethic. So it kind of helps me anyways, put uh, my life to it. when I think of them, okay, well, they're coming over to my house for group. Uh, maybe I don't have a lot in common with them, but it's my brother. So how would I treat my own brother? Right. Or, and in your regular families, those of you who have siblings, uh, yeah. how, how much alike are you? social oh, we're so, so different oh my gosh my yeah we're so different <laughs> that's really? my mom because okay. yeah, yeah. I, think, I think you're well, onto something that helped me a lot i think really like did. me and my, my yeah. oldest sister uh because i'm the youngest of three and two older sisters my older sister and i 
we were like complete opposites when we were younger, but we've grown to kind of be a lot alike. But on that same, I guess on that same thread, I've been in groups, group scenarios or, or whatever it may be. I mean, I guess in-laws kind of coming into the family is a, is a good example of this. But oh, yeah. I've been in groups to where you have uh, incredibly tight-knit groups. And then somebody comes in, dynamic changes. And then I feel like as I reflect on that now, thinking back about why that is, I think it's because I've been with a group of people and we kind of started there, right, where things were kind of awkward and weird. But we had taken two years or so and we had kind of navigated some of those weird things and we had battled through. Well, now whenever you're somebody else is coming in and we have this kind of culture already established because we've we've accomplished something together and then somebody comes and kind of threatens what we've accomplished or it's got to be busted down and rebuilt with them in mind because somebody new means um, a different culture. But our friend, our friend Mark Weaver, he always mm-hmm. says that, that, you know, if the group or, or if the, it's behavior or whatever, uh, if the reason or, or the origin, I guess, as he says, of our group is just so that our group is happy and our group thrives, or whatever, then um, then we're gonna we're gonna feel threatened when somebody else comes in. But if the origin is literally Christ-centered community, um, then then we're gonna be able to kind of, or at least willing, maybe, to reestablish culture and, and re-navigate some of the things that we did, um, or. You bust it up and start a new one. At least they have that as an option. That's right. It's a, bust it up and start a new one. So, uh, I, mean, really, I, I think the family thing helps a lot because I, I, I've never felt the requirement inside my family to be like my brothers or my sister yeah. in terms of how we interact. Because we're not very That's much true. alike, and and uh, sometimes we're quite different you know we have certain things in common but in the end they're in the room because they're family and you just roll with it you just kind of go you're very very different and it makes for very animated discussions uh, (laughs) is all it is and that you think differently but in the end we're all family and we're in this together is a pretty good way to do that so thank you matt i'm glad you showed up today i appreciate that very very much so we have actually been talking for 30 minutes have we really yeah 30 minutes it goes fast especially we're hanging out friends Cool. All friends, even Thomas is behind the camera. Thomas Bernard and our yeah. media producers, yeah. making sure if you're watching the right. this version of the podcast, yeah, thinking about something else, yeah, <laughs> making us smell coffee. So in that case, it probably was good to end with a Mark Weaver quote, or, or at least a thought. Uh, yeah. He is, for those of you who may not know, he is one of our elders and has taught before and has just kind of this homespun uh, wisdom that he, it's, uh, he gives out. So yeah. So what we're doing during the, I just want to keep you in mind that we're during the table. We are trying to rediscover what the local church really is, what God intended, because it does have a deserved reputation at times for just being a little bit of a dysfunctional or a lot dysfunctional place, and a lot of people have not had a very good experience in church, but I maintain it's the local church is good in the same way that family is good. Families, when they're good, they're phenomenal. And when they're dysfunctional, they're horrible. And the churches are very much the same way. And so we're hopefully, hopefully going to rediscover kind of what that's all about. So end us out here. Cool. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Thanks for listening or watching. If you're watching us, um, we would love to get any of your feedback or any questions you have. We, you can email us at uh, right now at CAC the letter C A and C at one life church.org. Um, we'd love your questions. I think we should end every podcast with a question for Brett. A question. Yeah. And it could be from a person. Did you just or, come up yeah, with this? It just, just came to this my head. now. Okay. Like, <laughs> okay. And so, so I, I don't think, know what the question is. No, you have no idea. Like that's what's going to be fun about it okay, is it's going to be a question. Really, like it could really be fun. like theological or it could just be like something 
like you know what's your favorite concert you've ever been to or something like that like okay. let's get to know like each other but i think it could be fun matt do you have one i thought of one yeah i could tell you were mm. thinking it you ready i don't know if i'm ready or not because i have okay. no idea what it is for, hopefully it's that concert one for so long you went no facial hair mm. Mm. Oh right, and right. Then now you have the goatee, sweet goatee thing. Yeah. I, I I like it. I'm super used to it. Right. What do you think the next phase is? I mean, you can't stay goatee forever. <laughs> it's the next phase. Yeah. In a few years. Well, I Why know this is probably going to go because I didn't expect it to come out gray. So I think uh. it tacked about ten years on to me. So the next phase will probably be it leaves. I could just go. Must we don't have a vote. You're like I don't really know. So the next phase I've thought about. Well. If I'm being really, really honest, I've thought about this because I just moved into my what I call my retirement community. I'm in a condo, and then uh, I've I'm I am 53 now, and I thought, and I'm I did that so I could get ready for my senior years, <laughs> and and I want to I definitely need to start eating different and being a lot more uh, about my health, and so I'm hoping as I do that I'll change my look, and but the gray thing will probably go away, or that or I'll, I'll just die awkwardly dark. <laughs> so. Everybody knows, like, like, what did you just do? So I can show I'm full on in a midlife crisis, but uh, that may be the next next phase. We'll see. See, wasn't that fun? That was was great. It was amazing. Uh, No, thank you guys for listening. If you um, haven't heard the message and you're kind of curious, you don't really know who um, Mephibosheth is, not sure what we're talking about, you can watch any of our messages at onelifechurch.org or on our One Life app. Um, And we would love to hear and connect with you guys again on our next podcast. That'll be episode two. Thank you, guys. Yeah.